was it bad? What was it like working with him, working with her? You'll hear all the tales you wish you knew. Every aspect of the theater too. Feel your love of Broadway anew. On backstage babble. Hi. This is Charles Kirsch, and welcome to Backstage Babble. Backstage Babble is a podcast interviewing professionals in the theater industry about themselves, their careers, and the people they've worked with along the way. Today, I am honored to be presenting to you the second part of my interview with Broadway star Penny Fuller. So without further ado, here is the second part of our conversation. So... I want to ask you, was it because of this experience that you decided to go to L.A.? I was in L.A. when when they called me to come and do it. Oh, oh. 1975. Yes, I was in L.A. So I came in to do it and I stayed. Yeah. And then I went back rather than I went to Hollywood. I went back where I was. And I had gone out there because I could not... I could not get past the point that I was at. I almost had promises, promises, and I didn't. I would almost have, and I just couldn't get that next thing. And then when I, you know, I don't mean this literally, but theoretically, every time I take over or go on as the standby, everybody say how much better I was, but I couldn't get my own part. And when I finally got my own part, it was with Nicole Williamson. Thank you. You know, so I went back to to Hollywood and did more television, which was not really what I was born for. But at the same time, I did a lot of theater out there. Not only did I do theater at the music center, but I also started two theater companies. Oh. And I got to do lots and lots of theater, and I got to have some, you know, some, the Krauss side of me got to be fed. And... Uh, we had a theater company. We started there at one time. We had a start uh, a theater company in the late 80s, maybe the 90s, the early 90s. I'm not sure. It was called the Matrix Theater Company. And Charles, this is the most exciting thing you can imagine. We would do a play. We he, the, 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 the producer, Joe Stern, would pick a play, and he would double cast it. But he would make it his mission to cast people that were not alike for the same part. And we got paid, I think, $10. And there was a whole thing just now, about a year or two ago, with equity saying they can't do that, they can't pay you no money anymore. And then the, the, the actors like my gang... I mean, I understand it's not good. You can't, you shouldn't not pay actors. But at the same time, when you're out in Hollywood and if you're working and you're making all this money and you want to keep, you know, so there was a huge fight about it. And I think they've killed the, uh, the well, not counting COVID. I think they killed the theater in some way. And I understand their thing saying it's, it's humiliating not to be paid for your work. But at the same time, it's humiliating not to be able to continue to do what you really do as you're doing yeah. some dumb Not all television is dumb, but, you know, while you're making a living, but what, what's you really in touch with? Theater. 
So this play, this theater was made so that we only did performances on the weekend and it was double cast. So that if you were working during rehearsal or you were out of town in the play, your other person would come on. They arranged with the LA Times. So we would rehearse, like for instance, if you and I were doing a scene, you and I would do it and we'd rehearse and your opposite or your replace, not your replace, what we, what we call them? We're double, not anyway, your person and my person would watch while we took that first scene and broke it. And then the next day, you and I would sit and they would take the next scene. And we would basically do what they did, what the other things did. But if we had something, you know, blah, blah, blah. So it was sharing. And, and um, not every actor could do it. You know, and some actors just, just couldn't do that. Yeah. But the ones of us that could just ate it up with a spoon. And so we would rehearse like that. And then for two weeks, they would set two casts. This cast would play and the Times agreed to review them. And then the next week, this cast would play and the Times would, would review them. And the next week, we would get to the theater and not know who we were going to play with. Um. It was so exciting. I can't tell you because we all had total respect for each other. You know, it wasn't like, oh God, I got to play with Charles tonight and he's so terrible. You know, it was like, I love when Charles plays. Because Billy, when he does it, he does that thing. But, but Charles does this. I mean, and we were just so alive and, you know, in the moment. I mean, it was thrilling. So the first play we did was called The Tavern by, I think George M. Cohan wrote it. Oh. And uh, it was a creaky old play. I didn't like it much, but I kept I was I kept saying, Penny, you want, and they wanted me to play the mother, and I said, and I kept saying, I, I was serving breakfast, and I finally said, Penny, you you always say no, say yes before no, and think about it. This is a way to do this. this. Is something you want to be a part of, and I did, and it turned out the girl who was playing the part I wanted to play decided to leave and so I got to do it and blah 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 blah. so I was really one and then the next thing was Joe Stern said to me see if you can get my teacher one of my four teachers five teachers whatever I said see if you can get Milton Katselis his name was to direct Little Foxes which I thought was a wonderful play for this company well, first of all, we couldn't get the rights because Lily and Hellman put something in that they couldn't do it outside of uh, out of the big towns without something. So, but I went to Milton. I mean, and I wrote a letter because you didn't ask Milton. You wouldn't say, Milton, Joe Stern, what you, you write it and slip it under his door. So I wrote the note and I slipped it under his door and he called back. He said, so make a meeting. So I made the meeting and it turned out they were going to do Chekhov's The Seagull. Now, any actor who is a real actor, I mean, an actor, actor, not necessarily a, th a musical theater actor, a musical, you know, theater with music, I always say. No such thing as musical theater, it's theater with music. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so what was I saying? So Milton, puts the, the seagull. The seagull. 
and uh, I had to audition for the mother. I didn't hear anything. Okay. And they're casting it, and they're casting it, and they're casting it. And the leading man in the theater of our company, I had found for Joe Stern. He said, oh, he's not. And, of course, he was, and they, he was the lead. And he was going to play Tregoran. And I, they still, I, can't, I heard one time they were trying to get Lauren McCall to play. Oh. Um, Arcadna, but I don't think they, I don't know. Anyway, so, and I went up to Milton one day in class, because I was studying with him, and I said, listen, I, I know I can play this part. If you don't think I can play this part, let me show you. And he said, we'll see. So, so the last time I went to him, I said, listen, Milton, I love you, I respect you, I've learned so much from you, and I honestly mean it. If you don't see me in this part, it's okay. And I want to wish you everything. And I really mean this. Thank you. Two days in the phone rings. Hello? I mean, hello? Yeah. So, you know the part, the, the play, The Seagull? Yes. You know the part of the mother? Yes. You want to play it? Who's directing? I said, <laughs> <laughs> so I got to do it. Oh. I got to do it. And Barbara Baxley. Baxter. Barbara Baxter. Ba Babcock, Barbara Babcock. She was in one of those Western series. I don't remember what it was. She was my, we were more alike than most people, but we were not exactly alike. Um, Cotter Smith, do you know who he is? The wonderful actor. And some other day when we're not doing this, I will tell you more about him because he's wonderful. You've got to meet him. And if you decide to study, you've got to somehow go to Carnegie Mellon and work with him. But anyway, and Robert Foxworth. Do you remember him from um, some series? Uh, something about up in the series about up in San Francisco, Suzanne. I don't know what it was. Anyway, you would recognize him. He's not short, but not as tall as Cotter. Totally different. He's kind of gruff. Cotter's very poetic. They played Tregore. The the uncle was Jeffrey Tambor and Robert, Robin Gamel, little short man. I mean, he couldn't have gotten more different people. And it was thrilling. It was wonderful. And both companies, I mean, we were like in heaven. It was like everything you ever trained for in the real world. I mean, in the real world of theater. And then you could go if you were lucky and you'd go during the week to your job where you got paid and where you could got, you know, some notoriety and could get more jobs. So we were blessed. We were really blessed. And if somebody you'd get to the theater and not know who you're going to play with, it was thrilling. It was wonderful. And then I started another company with down at the taper, a classical theater company, or I was, I didn't start that one so much, but I was one of the initial members of the, a classical thing. We, what did we do? We did, oh, oh, we did. There was a play written by these two young guys that was kind of a spoof. But with a spoof, if you're, it was also not a spoof. If you didn't put that sort of turn on it, it was real. And it was a play called Chekhov in Yalta. 
And it was about Chekhov in Yalta. And it was about Chekhov who had TB, was down in Yalta getting his, you know, healthy air stuff. And the Moscow Art Theater, having failed with the seagull, come down to visit him and spend the weekend. And he gives them, as they leave, the three sisters to take back. Oh. And it was played in rep with Twelfth Night. And every character in Chekhov and Yalta played the right part in Twelfth Night they should have played. I mean, it was oh. just... And so the Chekhov play, start, the, the set was a, the, the terrace of his, built like his real dacha in Yalta. And there was a, it was on the outside, the, tip, the patio kind of. There was a chaise long, and I was lying on there. And Robin Gamble was playing Chekhov uh, with his little glasses. And he was reading a book at the end. And everybody else was lolling about, you know, singing. And occasionally you'd see somebody come by in costume for Twelfth Night, only you didn't know it was Twelfth Night. They weren't dressed like everybody else. And we're singing la, 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 Very Russian. And Rene Aubergenois, may he rest in peace, would come out of the top of the terrace and say, and he had a makeup towel around his head, and he had bright red, I mean, he was in the middle of his makeup, and, and he'd say, children, children, got to stop playing, we have to rehearse. After all, this is Shakespeare. And, we, and he'd go back in to finish his makeup, and we would la, 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 off the stage, everybody would go off, and the only person on the stage, left on the stage, was Chekhov. And he started with, if music be the food of love, play on with some Twelfth Night. And then each one of us amazingly played the part we should have played in Twelfth Night. So uh, Renee was um, Malvolio, you know, and uh, I mean, it was just amazing. And so you didn't have to have seen Twelfth Night first. I mean, uh, Chekhov and Yalta first, but it was wonderful. If you, if you were coming, I'd say, no, you have to, but normal people didn't have to, people who would really care. And then you would have that extra thing of what was going on. It was wonderful. So I was a member of that company too. So I didn't miss theater. In fact, I did probably more theater and did better and was better noted than I was here. And then I did, at the Matrix, I also did another play. I did Betrayal, Pinter. Harold Pinter. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, I knew you knew. And I knew I knew. <laughs> so I do want to ask you, while you were in L.A., you did do all this theater, but you also won an Emmy during the time you were there. What was it like to win an Emmy and to do the thing you won it for? Well, it turned out that in the middle of all of this, I got married and went to Atlanta. Oh, Georgia and had a baby and figured I'd end up running the Alliance Theater in Atlanta and, you know, be inviting all of you to come and play in plays. But that didn't work out so well. So when my daughter was two years old, 
we packed up our things and we went on, we left Atlanta and we went back to LA and pretty soon we went back to New York and we were on the road with the elephant man. Now, do you know what the elephant man is? Yes. Yes. Okay. So this was the original. So we toured in that. And, um, but so she was babysat by the man who stood by for the elephant man. And finally, he left the show, and I th- we, we were so worried about the two of them being separated because they, he, just, he would carry her around. Oh, it's wonderful. Anyway, so we got back to uh, Los Angeles with the Elephant Man, and then the next thing I know, they're going to film it, and they asked me to do the film. And so we go to Toronto, and we do the film, and I did get nominated for an Emmy. I was, um, in my career... While I was out there for, let's see, if she was two, then I was out there for, let's see, she came back when she went to college. It was 19 or something. So she, we were basically there for 16 or 17 years. And I was nominated for five other Emmys while I was there. Oh, wow. All for, you know, TV, most of it, uh, I have to think about it, but most of it is episodic. But, but we filmed The Elephant Man. And that's what I got the elephant man. I mean, the the Tony for, or the Emmy. And uh, I didn't expect to because I was up against Ingrid, not Ingrid Bergman, but a lot of people, a lot of famous people. And I didn't expect to get it, and I got it. And um, so that was great. And I didn't work for a year afterwards. So, so much for awards. So what do you think is the difference between movie and TV people and theater people when you work with them? I think when people come from the theater, they're more inured to a sense of community because each play, you get so close, and then when it's over, you say, oh, I'm going to see it, and you don't see them again very often. But if you did, you would just fall into each other's arms. In television, it's much more because... All of it. I mean, nobody's usually, they're not, everybody's not in the whole thing. You know, this week we're going to shoot you and me and tomorrow and next Monday we'll shoot Anita and Barry Kleinboard. I, you know what I'm saying. So, um, so it's, it doesn't have that kind of community and there's so many more people. I mean, the people in the, the theater, the stagehands are as much like us as, as anything in a way. Uh, because we're such an odd little family. Theater is such an odd thing. I mean, television is worldwide, and our little, oh, please God, it comes back, but our little theater is a very special thing. You have to go to New York to see Broadway theater, or if you're lucky, you go to certain towns and they have rep companies, but television is everywhere, and movies, and so it's a different It's a different feeling. But work is more or less the same. I'll tell you something that um, I never even realized. My daughter works for, um, she's now not two, she's grown up now, and she works for Robert Reich, who was the uh, Secretary of Labor for Bill Clinton, and he has some uh, YouTube stuff that he uh, does, and sometimes she produces it, but Sometimes she talks to him. And so she did one time and she said, Mom, give me some notes. And I looked at her and I know her, so I know how smart. She's really fast. 
but so if if I'm looking at Bob, if I'm Heather, my daughter, and I'm looking at Bob Rick, uh, Bob Reich, she was going, uh huh, mm -hmm. yeah. And what you realize is that a lot of people go, mm hmm, and they don't really get it. They're doing like this, but you could see that Heather was getting it, but it was slightly distracting. So I said, and nobody ever gave me this note, and I think it's one of the best notes I ever heard. And I said, Heather. Listen with your eyes. That's good. And I didn't even know it was going to come out. But it is, because that way you can, you can still nod your head occasionally, but you're really taking it in in another way. So would you just ask me that I said that whole story? I went oh, off the... I was asking you about the difference between movie and theater people. Oh, yeah. Oh, the people. Right. Well, I think that's part of it. I think that's part of it. And I think because, I guess if you're on a movie, there's, but no, that's not even true because you go home to your little thing and you're doing, you know, that bunch doesn't work till next week. And this, you know, I don't think there's the same yeah. camaraderie. And then, of course, there's a lot of money and money changes things, sometimes for the better and sometimes not. And sometimes the material is not very good. But you do it because you need to make a living. Um, then sometimes you have to tie yourself up for seven years in a series because you have to make a living and you have to have, you know, if you get some power, then you can go back to New York and do King Lear if you want to. And nobody can say you can't do it because you can now, you know, yeah. so it's a different, it's a different, I'm not saying that the acting is that different. It's slightly different, but I'm saying that the, the drive is different. The raison d'etre is a little different. Yeah. And of course, the more you, the better you do in television, the more power you have to come back in New York and not be the understudy, but be the first one. So it's tricky. And who knows if any of this will ever happen again. Yeah. It's really, it's really, you know, interesting. I mean, it's not interesting, it's terrifying. But if you can get to the point where it's interesting, but what I would love to see is that theater becomes more important in small towns. I don't mean small towns, but in towns where they have their own theater, like Minneapolis and Chicago and St. Louis has a theater and San Diego and San Francisco and people, it's part of their lives. It's not New York, but it's part of their lives and uh, part of the audience's life to have theater to go to. And this is Miss Krause, you know, talking to me. She, I mean, she's just, wherever she is, she's making me say these things. So I want to ask you, one of your major roles when you were back in New York, doing New York theater, was playing the mother in a new brain. So was it nice to sort of return to doing musicals? It was nice to do that play. I was devastated when it didn't get great reviews because I thought, if they don't want this, what do they want? I thought it was so brilliant and so meaningful and so entertaining and still almost religious in, in its, you know. I worship Bill Finn. I worship him. And he had seen me in Cabaret back 100 years ago, you know. 
And he said, I always want to do something with you. And, the, and they had asked me, as a matter of fact, that's right, I forgot this. They had asked me if I wanted to do a workshop of New Brain. They said, it's two weeks. And I was here doing a soap opera. And I had done a play at uh, Manhattan Theater Club and soap opera. And I was going back to L.A. and my daughter and all that stuff. And um, they asked me if I wanted to do this workshop. And I said, what is it? And they said, well, it's about this guy. And he's in the hospital. And I said, with a brain tumor or something. I said, I, I think I'll just go home. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I went home. So I come back. When I moved back, because my daughter was now going to go to school in the East, and that's what I told her. I said, you can do anything you want when you get out of college, but you cannot, you must not go to school in the West. You must go to the East, because they don't know as much about thinking here. And so we came, and that's when I came back. And, and uh, so they said, do you want to do a workshop of a new brain? I said, oh, that again. Well, yeah, they said it's a week. I said, okay, fine. I mean, I didn't know anything. And I start looking at it, and I, I say, wait a minute. I don't know how to count this. I'm used to doing musicals where you play the tune, and I get it, and I sing the tune. But, I mean, I don't know how to count this. And I took piano, but I didn't know how. I mean, throw out the book. If you don't throw out the book. I mean, I, well, anyway, I learned it. And they liked it, what I did. And so they said I was going to do it. and. The truth is, I got to do it, and I, it was like the most, probably one of the top three, and I don't know what the other two are at the moment, experiences of my life. I just loved it. I loved it. I loved the people. I loved the material. I loved what it was saying. I loved its life-affirming, you know, I loved all of it. I loved it. And I remember when it, opened I thought well if they don't like this I don't know what they like and they didn't like it they didn't like it I don't know if it's because it really wasn't as good as I thought it was or because they weren't it wasn't the right time for it I don't know why they didn't like it and I thought it was good good production too I mean if I do say so myself I do think that everybody I don't know I just but it was not it was a little not very much, but a little out there. And I guess they weren't ready for it. You know, it wasn't out there. It was just a little out. So I don't know. I couldn't go. I told Bill, I said, I can't go to the encore. I just can't. I don't want anything in the way of my memory of this. Yeah. I understand. So I don't know what that was like. I couldn't. I couldn't. Because this was so precious to me. So precious. So you were saying earlier in the interview that a few times in your career you've been thrown into things, but that wasn't true with this. This you sort of got to develop from the beginning. So did you like doing that? Yeah, I did indeed. I'll tell you something. I don't think that it matters that I say this now, but I was in London before we began, and I was having lunch, and I swallowed, and something went blink, and I lost the top part of my voice. And I thought, oh, my God, I'm going back and start rehearsal in a musical. I can't have no voice. And I came back, and I had no voice. And they 
took me to people and whatever. And I said, oh, God, no, no. And I called my agent. He said, just keep working. you got another month before you start rehearsal. And I went to this doctor who said, I said, well, I did this. He said, no, you just think you did. And I said, oh, is everybody so mean? And then he said, I'm going to send you to my vocal therapist. And she was she was brilliant, and she said, think big tits. Sorry about that. Think big tits and drunk like I said, I can't, I can't, And she said, I'm going to send you to my student who's at Broadway. She was sung on Broadway. So I went to her student, whose name was Jackie Presty. And I went, and she said, do this. And I'm like, oh, I can't do it. In the meantime, I'm getting massages and things. And now it's time to start the rehearsal. I have a friend who's helping me in rehearse on my own and um, I'm getting it I mean it's coming back and this woman Jackie Presty is a genius and she's my teacher to this day and my friend too and so we start rehearsal and I, I'm I, they don't know uh, that, that this happened because I, to my throat because by the time rehearsal started I sounded okay but I would take a Sometimes put a heating pad, and I'd say I did something on my shoulder. So finally, they said, okay, tomorrow we're going to pick the keys so we can write the music. So I go to my guy, and I say, what are we going to do? And he plays, and we played it, and we sang it. We put it down in the key that it was written. We did it a half step higher, maybe, maybe a whole step, and a half step or a whole step lower. And I could do it in all three. So the next day, Bill said, well, what do you want to do? I said, I will show you all three. But I will tell you that my feeling is the lower one, and it wasn't just because of this, the lower one's better because nobody's singing there. Everybody else is singing, oh, 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 and I was singing, and the music still plays on, the music still is going on and on, and he agreed with me. So we did it in the low key. And the night that we did the first preview, Jackie came, my voice teacher, and I said, Jackie, I had no idea. I was this strong and this determined that I could really do it. And I did it. And I was so, so pleased. And I loved it so. And his mother, oh, no, his mother never got to see it. She died. But she did see the... the um, the reading that we did, I forgot to tell you this, and and she was laughing so when I was singing "Throw Out the Books" because she kept saying, "I did that, yes, I did." That. But she never got to see it because she she'd been ill and she it's too bad because she would have loved it. And she was, I mean, I see why he cast me as her because I didn't not look like her. I mean, she wasn't what you would think, big tall. Bill Finn, do you know what he looks like? Yeah, I do. He looks like a truck driver, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's this woman, she's taller than I, but, but sort of small-boned and everything, and that was his mother. So I see part of it. And he said, I'd always remembered you in Cabaret. That's why I want you to do this. That's why I asked you to do the original workshop, you know, the year before. So that was mo one of the most thrilling moments of my life and I will tell you something about somebody that I think is one of the most gracious wonderful 
wonderful things I've ever heard anybody do. Bill and I, we were nominated for, I don't know what it was, drama, drama desk or one of those things. So we went to the thing and, and then they uh, said, said the best, um, best actress or best supporting actress, whatever it was. And they said, Charlie Brown. Uh, now I can't remember my darling friend's name. What's her name? Kristen Chenoweth. So Kristen Chenoweth won for Charlie Brown. And as God is my witness, this girl said, this belongs to Penny Fuller. And I thought, not because she put my name, but I thought the generosity of that and the acknowledgement of what we'd been through in this extraordinary, silly little music, weird little musical, and the fact that she would say that, I have never, I mean, it's, it's, I've got tears in my eyes. I just thought it was so lovely. And look at what has happened for her. And I am so glad because she is so gifted, but I thought that was the most generous thing to do. So people... There are nice people in the theater. Yes? So people say the expression sort of coming full circle. So I would say that you did that when you worked with Neil Simon again on the dinner party. Uh, what was it like to work with him now that you were sort of on an equal? Well, oh. I came very close to doing Promises, Promises. And I didn't get... Star Spangled Girl or whatever that thing was. So, I don't know. I didn't have much hope. They opened it out and I, you just wonder sometimes where people's brains are. They opened that play in Los Angeles in a play that had no proscenium. A play about being closed in, claustrophobic, in a play that had no walls, in a space that had no walls. Makes no sense. Anyway, so they did it and it was a bomb a real bomb so that was the end of that and then one day i was out in um buh, buh, new jersey it begins with b What's i'm it? not sure i'm not either but you will both wake up in the middle of the night and say oh anyway i was out there and i was doing uh ancestral voices this thing that you read by um a playwright and they said uh they want you to come and do uh, that they're going to do a tour a short tour of the dinner party and i said okay so they i said send me the script and i give me the script and i'm i'm backstage and i'm reading and i'm reading and i'm thinking well where's this part where's my part no wonder no no these movie stars want to do it and then the book came to came where she came on and I saw that she didn't come on until page 60 something when she came on she came on she took the play wrapped up a little ball and put it in her pocket it was her play even though she didn't come on so I said okay I'll do it and Neil and I had not had the best I mean it wasn't we didn't have a bad thing but it was like hi Neil how are you good to see you, you know so I fly out to Los Angeles, because now I'm here, of course, and we rehearse out there. And there's my old pal, Len Carrier. And oh no, first, first we're here getting the costume. And 
it's hard to say that I was telling Jane Greenwood what I thought the costume should be. Because she's a genius. But she had a little idea of a cocktail suit, you know, a cocktail, you know, very, you know, very designer conscious, but not particularly sexy or anything like that. Yeah. And I thought, I think it has to be a little sexy. So finally they found it. And we put it on and they went, that's it. And it was black. It was kind of 1920s. Did you? Well, you weren't even born. Of course, you didn't see it. But anyway, it was just beautiful. So John Randall comes to look at it, and we show him the little suits. And he says, mm -hmm. and then we put this on, and his eyes got this big, and he said, that's it. So we go out to California, and Len and I did not talk at all, but our parts were played by, do you know who? I can't think. I don't know who. Well, you can find out if you care. Yeah. I can't think who it is right now. But they were different from Lynn and me. They were, um, oh, this wonderful guy, and he's dead now, Ed somebody. And then she was the one who was on a lot of television series with red hair and kind of maybe played the mother in the something about undertakers. I don't know. I didn't see it. But anyway, not like us. So we began rehearsing, and then they say, oh, um, this is your first day. Come, we brought your costume to see if it fit. And as we're going past, going to, to my costume fitting, I, they said, oh, that's the dress, whatever, Virginia, no, whatever her name is. I thought, really? Because it was beautiful, big, green, poofy, you know. And I thought, that's weird. And I thought... And they had this play, in the, it's about her locking everybody in the room so they can't get out, in this play with no walls. No wonder the play wasn't a success, thought I. So and I look at my sexy, beautiful dress, that this character that is like no one else in the play or like anything, anybody, you know, and I just thought, this is dead on. Then Len and I, because we'd known each other from applause and also we did an encores of no strings so we knew each other very well and i don't know i mean i don't know if i could have done it if the director had said i want you to play this very sexy i wouldn't have known but we did i found myself on the the there was a chaise and i found myself lying on the chaise and doing all kinds of things in the rehearsal that i mean just doing things that I, I didn't think of it, it just happened. And Neil went, did I, I didn't know I wrote that because the other two had been, you know, more Noel Cowardy, so to speak. Now, we were not, not bantering in giving, but there was a, a kind of glamorous something to it. And when we opened in Washington, oh, and then I, I, I had learned the most important thing when I, my first big job in the theater was doing a tour of a very difficult play by Lillian Hellman called Toys in the Attic. And my, my mother in the play was played by Constance Bennett, and she upstaged me the whole time. And I learned how to act with my back. Oh. So in the dinner party... I'm trying to get everybody, I'm really trying to get me back together with my husband, but the other two women have had a 
divorce and I'm manipulating getting everybody back together. And when I finally say to my ass, okay, Lynn, or whatever his name is, uh, how about you? And he says, I'm sorry. And he walks out. And they're already sitting down and having dinner. And so I can, can you see me? I think you can see me. I stand up and I go to the door because I think he's going to open the door. I go to the door and I open the door. He's not there. And you've seen all this without seeing my face. And all those mothers and movie stars that I played with taught me to be able to, to be expressive with my body. So she turns around and she walks slowly to the table and she sits down at the table and she lifts her glass and says to the other people, and, and that's the end of the play. Except for the last night. The last night, I tell you this because this is funny. The last night I do the thing and I look and through the door comes a waiter and it's Len. Len has put mustache on, put on an apron and is coming to serve bread. It was so wonderful. It was just fun. But anyway, the point of the play is that you just, you, the audience, think he's coming back. She thinks she's coming Back. I opened in Washington and I find, found out, and we weren't going to come to New York. Uh, we were just doing this tour. Of, no, it was just Washington. It was just Washington. It wasn't even a tour. And I found out that Neil had never gotten good reviews in Washington, so he was a little nervous. And he got really good reviews. And he said to me that night, he said, thank you for saving my play. So we did end up on a happy camaraderie because what Len and I did was so different from the other two and I think it helped the play because it gave another it made it have a little you know it wasn't all just but laugh laugh it had stuff so so one thing you did around this time is a musical that I love called 13 things about Ed Carpolati so how did you first come to do that Oh, that's right. I remember you told me that in your email. Oh, Charles. Remember I told you my daughter was going to go to college? Yeah. In L.A.? Well, the spring before she graduated from high school, I came here to see one of my old, old friends. Oh, God, I forgot to tell you all this other stuff. But my, uh, one of the best things that I ever did for myself as a, well, certainly for myself, but as an actress was a summer at the Old Globe in San Diego where I played, it was one of the last years when they had real rotating repertory. So on one night I'd be playing Julia. On the next night I'd be playing uh, Olivia, uh, Viola in Twelfth Night. And the third night, I'd be playing Doll Tearsheet in Henry IV, Part Two. And it was not, remember I said at the beginning of this, don't do the same play night after night for two years, it'll kill your soul. Well, this is what, it was thrilling because it was new and vital every night. So, um, um, so I, so it was the spring that she was her high school year and I came to New York I came to New York and saw John Glover. Oh, that's why I said it was John Glover had come that summer and he had done 
um, Henry Four, and he'd done Mercutio, and we were very good friends. So when he opened on Broadway in Love, Valor, and Compassion, I came to the opening, and I met Michael Bush, who was at the Manhattan Theater Club then. And he said, would you ever want to do a play in New York? And I said, absolutely. My daughter's going to graduate. And after June, I'm ready. So the next thing I know, he's calling me. He said, I have a job for you. I said, really? He said, yes, it's to replace. There's somebody having trouble. We're going to replace her in her, or whatever. In a play, it's in rehearsal. It's called Three Viewings. And uh, I said, when? He said, uh, well... Uh, this was Monday. He said, maybe Thursday? And I said, oh, my God. So I said, well, send me the script. And I read the script, and I, I liked it. It was three monologues that took place in a funeral home. The first uh, the first was Buck Henry. Do you remember Buck Henry? Yeah. Buck, he, he was a, worked in the, he had a story, and he worked in the funeral home. The second one was a, kind of a nutsy, nutsy, oh, God bless her, Margaret White, Margaret Whitten. Um, I never did understand that story. I'm glad they didn't ask me to do that one. And the third one was this widow. And she was sitting there on the sofa in the funeral home, and she told this story, and that was the play. So I read it, and I thought, well, I really want to go back to New York, but I I don't know. And I called it because now it's one o'clock in the morning. My, no, it's three o'clock in the morning, my time. I can't sleep. And I called Tony Roberts here in New York. I woke him up. I said, I'm sorry to wake you up, but I don't know what to do. And I need to talk it over with you. I just, you don't, you don't have to say anything. I just need to say my thing thoughts out loud. And I said, I don't want to do it. And the thing, but it's Heather's last year at college. I mean, at high school and I want to be here and that thing and the thing and the thing and I don't know what to do. And I don't like it that much anyway. Thank you for listening. So I turned it off, hung out the phone, closed the book, and said, I'm not doing it. And I said, well, let me just read a little bit out loud. I read a little bit out loud, and I called up, and I said, I'm on my way. And I had nine days to get ready with a monologue, right? I mean, I don't want to be over-rehearsed, for heaven's sakes. Here I go again. The thing that was interesting, and I'm most grateful for, and I don't know where I got this exactly. But as all those teachers, I forgot to tell you, there was the man who helped me with teaching with the performing a song in song. And that was David Craig and then Milton, my teacher there. And then Miss Krause and then Diana Maddox. And Diana Maddox taught me about Shakespeare. And there's one more. I said five, but there may only be four. Well, Barry, well, he's not a teacher. Yeah, I think it's that. Anyway. So the play takes place sitting in, uh, in the sofa, in the funeral home. And she's just sitting there talking to the audience. Don't ask me why. She's talking to the audience and she's saying, Ed, this, and I tell the whole story. And at the end... You may have noticed that I'm sitting on this piece of paper. And I said, and then this morning he wrote me this letter. And I wrote, I read the letter that he wrote. And one day in rehearsal, I said, guys, she hasn't read the letter yet. They said, what? I said, 
what if she hasn't read the letter? She's been afraid to leave it, read it. And as she's here in front of the audience, she gets that letter from Ed. And they experience with me, they, you, the audience, experience with me her receiving this like it happens in the They went, oh! they had never thought of it. So we did that. And somehow or another, I learned all that and opened in nine days. And uh, that was another one that I got nominated for, but didn't get the drama something or another. And then some years later, maybe four or five years later, I, I, now at Noel, 2000. This is after dinner party. Yeah, this is after dinner party. Um, I'm now start. I've met Barry Kleinbord, and I'm starting. He's saying you should do a, a nightclub act. You know, and then a Michael Bush, the one who was at the Manhattan Theater Club I mentioned before, said, "I want to talk to you about you, me, about teaching actors at uh, the O'Neill, teaching actors how to sing, which was what I had learned from this man that I." mentioned David Craig and my four teachers. And I said, well, I don't really teach. I mean, I don't know. And he said, well, just come over uh, I, uh, on Thursday and we'll talk about it. I said, oh, well, listen, by the way, uh, my friend Barry Kleinbord said to ask you about whether I could use a Monday night at one of the theaters to do a, he said, Barry Kleinbord's brilliant. Bring him to the meeting too. So I said, Barry, you want to go to this meeting? So we go. We don't know what we're going for. We go. And Michael and Barry start talking, and I get left out. So I'm listening to them talk. And finally, they, Barry, Larry, Michael says he wants us to teach performing of song together at the O'Neill, at the O'Neill Foundation up in, do you know what I'm talking about? Okay. Yes. So, and then Michael says, listen, um, I gotta run, I'll be right back. And he goes out and I go to Barry. He didn't even mention our doing the thing on a Monday or Thursday, you know, I don't know. And Michael comes in, he says, okay, that's it, it's settled. You and Barry will teach together and you will do a cabaret on the first week of the 10 day, the first on the Friday of the 10 day thing. And uh, that's what it's gonna be. So thank you so much, goodbye. And Barry and I go, we're gonna teach something and do a cabaret, okay? Um, whatever that means. And then Barry's father died. So all the time that he was, you know, doing whatever you have to do, and he didn't have time to talk about our cabaret. And finally, it's time to go up to the, up to the O'Neill Hotel, and uh, we're working on the cabaret. And finally, I said, Barry, Barry, it's Wednesday. We teach, no, it's Tuesday. We teach, start teaching tomorrow afternoon at one. We haven't talked about it. He said, that's okay. Let's just go on with this next number. So the next day it's we start to teach. And the, whoever the first person was, if it's you, you get up and you sing. And Barry says, Penny, would you like to say something? And I say, no, you go ahead. We don't know what we're going to say. <laughs> and from that moment on, we were like synchronized swimmers. I don't know where Michael Bush got the instinct, but we were perfect because he would kind of, 
but not always. He would go from the outside in, you know, from the, and I would go from the inside out, but not always. We kind of, it was just, we were what we never said. We never, we never disagreed about what needed to be done. We'd have different ways of helping you get, it was a magical thing. So Barry and I became, you know, theatrical soulmates and just like we really were on each other's page so sometime along few years later i thought about three viewings and i thought i think this might make a one-person musical barry will you come over to the house i have something to tell you i have something to ask you so he comes over and I said, I want to read you something. And I read him the model. He said, well, that's very nice. That's very good. I said, yeah. Do you think it could make a musical? He swears this is not what happened, but I swear it is. He says it's, it's basically the same thing, but I'm telling you, my story's true. But he has a very good memory, so he may be right. I said, do you think it could make a musical? And he said, no. I said, why? He said, because there's no musical hook. Well, find one. And he did. Oh. And that was the humming. It was the beginning it was the humming that she does. You know, remember she hums when she's nervous? Yeah. 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 So, uh, and Jeff, I had a meeting. I invited Jeffrey, um, Jeffrey, who wrote the book, the play. Him and Barry and I, I invite them to lunch over at the course, Jeffrey Hatcher. Have them to lunch, and I say, we have this idea about doing the play as a musical. And he said, really? Oh, go, go to it. And we have heard that he says it's even better than his play. I don't know if it is or it isn't, because I can't see for looking, as my mother would say. But we did it, and we did it the first time we did it up at the O'Neill, the last year that we taught up there. And I will never forget it because instead of the, no, I think we did a cabaret too. We did a cabaret too, but maybe we didn't. I don't know. But I do remember that I got out there and the lights come up and I don't have my glasses on and I'm reading it. And Barry realized it before I did. So I kept, you know, kind of moving the script, script right the lights. But we did it. And Billy Goldenberg, do you know who Gil Billy Goldenberg is? Yeah. Well, he just died about three weeks ago, and he was one of my oldest, longest, dearest friends. And he told Barry, he said, you need one more song. Barry said, okay. And I know that Billy liked it, but he didn't say, it's good, you need one more song. He just said, you need one more song. And that turned out to be One More Spring. Oh. So... Um, then Peter Tier, my friend at 59 East 59, put it on there. And then I sent it to uh, my friend uh, Charles, Charles, oh, sorry, Charles at the Merrimack Rep. And we, he said, I'm leaving. This is my last year here, and I can't think of anything better than to give my audience this as a Christmas present. So we did it there. And then I sent it to my friend who sent it to the people in Los Angeles at the Santa Monica Road Theater. We did it there. And I'll tell you something, Charles. 
it's it's very funny. I mean, I love doing it, but I don't know if it's because I don't know if the theater's going to come back in time for me to ever do anything again or if anything's to be interesting enough. But I'm going to see if you can see my apartment. At the moment, the arm... Let me go close it. Okay. I want to show you one end of my living room. I don't know. Can you... Can you see the armoire and the two bookcases and the chair? Yeah. Yeah. It's the best set for this play. Oh, really? I keep thinking, how do we do a Zoom? Because most Zooms don't have a set. But that's the, you know, I sit in that chair. I just put a table over here with the phone. And it's better than any set I ever had. I mean, you know. And I, can't, I get frustrated. It's not that I want to do it again. I just get frustrated that there's this wonderful idea. But anyway, there, that's what that was. And it made Barry and me so, I mean, we've been through the wars together. You know, it's been wonderful. And then it was his idea to do Anita and me because we look alike. And then I got the idea of calling it Sin Twisters. And, um, but yes, it's because it's a history of the musical theater in our day. I mean, it has not Ethel Marmot, but we, you know, but it's, it's our day. And the fact that we were always up for the same part and then we had, that we're jealous in it. And then we're proud of each other and we love each other. And then we, you know, it's a lovely, lovely, lovely play. And we've done three or four different ones now. So we, if we ever can do another one, we'll probably do the, be the last one and it'll have more songs in it. But, um. But that, that partnership with Larry, Barry, I don't know, not partnership, but that, that, you know, the creative partnership has been a wonderful part for, the, for that section of my life after the, you know, after the musical theater. And then I started doing plays again. And then I did um, Anastasia last year or whenever that was. Yeah, I actually want to ask you, my last question is about doing that, how you came to do it, and what it was like? They called me and asked me. And um, I thought, well, I don't know, I'll go see it. And I thought, oh. and I thought, you know, that's a really, I mean, I love that play. I love that story. And, um, yeah, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. So I started rehearsing, and I was supposed to have an, uh, an operation on my leg. We didn't have it because I was, I said, uh, he said, well, you can use a cane. I said, I can't use a cane. Learn blocking, learn a new play in five days. Can't do that. Just put the operation off. So I did it, and I wasn't thrilled at the very beginning. And then, of course, I fell in love with everybody in the cast. And I had a wonderful time. I had a wonderful time. And the play, um, did you see it? I did. I did. So you know that she's on at the beginning, and then she doesn't come on until the second act, I think. And so I would go on doing things, and I had my espresso machine. I had a couch. I decorated the room. I had paint. I had posters of the maps where the Dowager Empress had been. I had pictures of things from Russia everywhere. I mean, it was wonderful. And people would come and visit me in my room because I didn't have anything to do for an hour. So, and I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it a lot. And I made a lot of good friends and it was, it was a nice experience. But I didn't think I was going to like it because I was down in the basement, 
and I had to climb up and I had the wigs and the thing and I'm not and I have to sit around but I loved it I loved it so just don't ever if you get into this business if the business exists again don't 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 think you won't like something because there's something about the theater there's something about that magic you know where the theater came from don't you what do you mean exactly? You know how we have theater. I don't mean Broadway. I mean theater, where it came from. It started with the Greeks. Oh, yes. Yeah. And the Greeks, it really started with a Greek named Asclepius. And Asclepius was a, a sort of a doctor in those thousands of years ago. And you would go to Asclepius's sort of healing place. And you'd go, I don't know what you'd really get, but you'd go into the healing place and you'd have all these things that you'd take the tinctures or you'd have the baths or whatever you had to do. And then the last thing you did was you went to the theater. Because one of the most famous theaters is the, is, is the theater at, it's, we call it Epidaurus, but it's pronounced Epidaurus. And why you went to the theater is it was the last part in your healing because when you went to the theater and you heard these mythic stories, you had a catharsis. And it was the last thing of taking the emotion that you had and getting it out. So, you know, whatever, Oedipus, the, you know, the wars, all those things, it was like... And you were, it was the last part of your healing. So if you think about that and you think about, you know, the fun you have at a play or the experience you have at a play or the songs, you know, I mean, it's got all of that in it, but it's deeper than that because there is something that really happens to you in an audience and as a performer, and it happens kind of in between. I mean, you, we create these people that we're not living before we do it, and you come and you bring your imagination to it, and they meet over the orchestra pit somewhere, and when we leave, where do they go? They're still up there. They're still alive somewhere in the universe. All those characters and all that experience, See, I'm a little serious when it comes to theater. I think it's a, we will save the world. <laughs> Somebody better. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this interview. It was an honor for me to hear all your amazing stories. Listeners, thank you for tuning in to both parts of this wonderful interview. I know I loved getting to hear so many stories from one of my favorite Broadway stars. Next week, make sure to tune in again when I sit down with veteran actor Chuck Cooper. Chuck Cooper is a Tony-winning actor for The Life and has also appeared on stage many other times in Getting Away With Murder, Whistle Down the Wind, Caroline or Change, Wireboy, Prince of Broadway, Passion, and many others. On screen, he has appeared in Malcolm X, An American Juror, and Sarah Bareilles' Little Voice. He has also appeared in Act One and Much Ado About Nothing, both of which were recorded for PBS's Great Performances. See you then! <laughs>